Our God and our Father, indeed, you are great. How great you are. And you delight to shroud, to hide your great power in the humblest of packages. in a son crucified on a gory Roman cross, blood-soaked, horrific, and yet in that humblest of packages, you flowed the greatest of power, the power to overcome even sin and death. So we marvel at you, how great you are, and we marvel at your ways marvel at your ways. And so we pray today that you would give us an even clearer picture of how you flow your power now from on high. You, Lord Jesus, who are ascended and who reign over the church, pray that you would give us a clearer understanding of how you flow power from your heavenly throne to your people and how you choose to do so in such humble packages. So will you make your word clear today? Will you carry me along? Will you carry our ears along? Will you commission your spirit now to work, to work deeply within us, to change us, to fill us with joy in you, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. In the church, shepherds shepherd those who shepherd. In the church, shepherds shepherd those who shepherd. I base this statement on a one plus one equals two kind of logic. If one thing is true and then another thing, then they equal another truth, the theme of this sermon. The first truth is that Jesus, our good shepherd, shepherds us by laying down his life for his sheep. By his sacrifice, he saves us and he keeps us until the end. He shepherds us all the way home. That's the first truth. The second truth is this, that a disciple does what his master does. Um, If you do not, you're not a disciple, at least not of that master. Um, The first question of Christianity is not, what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? What does Jesus do? And then we do that. (laughs) That's Christianity right there. Um, Therefore, one plus one equals two. We Christians are to be good shepherds of Jesus' sheep, shepherding them to to salvation, sacrificially, until the end. Real disciples do what their master does, and he is the good shepherd. Of course, some people in the church are given the noun of shepherd, elders and and pastors, as the translation was, was read there, or shepherds, but all of us Disciples are to do the verb of shepherding. We are to shepherd Jesus' flock the way Jesus shepherds us. Disciples do what their master does. So I want to consider why, how, and where we are to shepherd today. First, why? I want to demonstrate my point from Scripture. Secondly, I want to show how we shepherd. And then lastly, where? I want to apply this to three spheres of life. So first, why we disciples are a shepherd. Shepherds shepherd those who shepherd. This is most clearly seen in Ephesians 4 in the passage we looked at last week and was just read for us. 
In verse 11, Jesus gives to the church the gifts of shepherds and teachers. In Lugene's uh, Bible, it was translated as pastors, but same word, shepherds, pastors. For this purpose, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints. Who is the primary doer of the work of ministry in Jesus' body? It is not the shepherds and teachers. It is the saints. And the shepherds equip them for that. So um, the verse, the, the verse, um, the, this verse is why I'm convinced that the elder's job in a church and what we aspire to here is to take seriously our responsibility and the, the, the authority that God has given to us, to take that seriously, but then to distribute that power and authority out from the center to trustworthy saints because of this verse. So we must ask ourselves, so, so what then is the work of ministry? What is the work of ministry? Paul says it is building up the body of Christ. And I, I believe Jesus, of course Jesus is a genius, of course. But another example of it here, Jesus and Paul's use of the metaphor of the body here is just genius. And think about your own body. Think about your own body. There is no one part that does all the building up of your body. All the parts contribute to that. All the parts work at that. They have differences, but they're all contributing to that. In the same way, every saint is responsible to be about the work of building up Christ's body. Christ's body. This is not my church. This church is not the property of those who give the most. This is Jesus' body. But he wants us to be about building it up. He is the head. He is the head, Paul says. And it's, it's, again, it's amazing how this metaphor holds up today. You can lose nearly any part of your body today, and modern medical science will still figure out a way to keep you alive, <laughs> except the head. <laughs> you can't lose your head. <laughs> um, the metaphor still holds up even today. Jesus is the head. And so the goal, the goal of this building project is three things. Verse 13. Number one, unity around Jesus. Unity around Jesus. You know you're doing it right when you see that around in the people around you. You're unifying more and more together around Jesus. Number two, knowledge about Jesus. People are learning more and more. People are knowing more and more. People are talking about what they're learning more and more about Jesus. And number three, maturity aligning with Jesus. You and the people around you are looking more and more. You're resembling more and more Jesus. It's not, it's not unity around your idea for your ministry and how you think it should be done. It's unity around Jesus. It's not about you being known, but about others knowing Jesus. It's not a maturity that's based on years or chronology, but on likeness to Christ regardless of age. And the way we do this, the way we build up the body of Christ, we all of us, into this unity around Jesus, this knowledge about Jesus, and this maturity aligning with Jesus, is, verse 15, by speaking the truth in love one to another. Speaking the truth in love one to another. The, the truth here uh, is not, like, when Paul says, speak, you know, like sometimes people say, I'm going to speak the truth in love to you right now. You have mustard on your shirt. You know, like, that's, you know, or you're a jerk, you know, so I'm going to cushion it with, that's not what he's talking about. 
He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about keeping the main thing the main thing, constantly reminding each other who is Jesus and who we are in him and all that we have in him, which is exactly the primary job of a shepherd or elder or pastor in a church, to keep preaching the gospel, to be a gospeler, to be a gospeler. And yet we're to, Paul is saying we're all of us to do that to all of us, to each other, in love, one to another. That's on all of us. The elders are examples at this. They lead in this. But it's for all of us. It's for all of us. Um, so when, when all of Jesus' sheep do what he says, and they shepherd one another by speaking the truth to one another in love, in love, something marvelous happens. Something marvelous happens. We as a whole group, as a, as a body, grow up in every way into Christ, and then a, a virtuous cycle occurs. Verse 16, as we grow into him, then the whole body is nourished. The whole body then makes the body grow, and so this whole body builds itself up in love. In love. So then every Christian, every Christian is called to exercise a careful watchfulness over the others that they're closest to. A watchfulness, a watchfulness that has a love to it that is curious, not, not a judgy, critiquing kind of love, which is not even love, but a, not a judgy, critiquing kind of curiosity, but a curiosity driven by love that wants the best for that person, that, that wants to know the condition of their soul in order to shepherd them yet still more towards Christ and towards the end, towards home. This is an ongoing work. It, it will not end until you and I have come home. We labor for each other's salvation and for each other's endurance to the end, and we do this sacrificially. We give up ourselves. Why? Because we're disciples of Jesus, we do what he does. He is the head, and that's where the crown of thorns goes. So our leaders go first in this sacrifice by Jesus' example, but then we all are to follow in his steps. Shepherds shepherd those who shepherd. Okay then, so how do we shepherd? Uh, we being, again, all of us, new Christians and long-timers. Seriously, if, if you are a new Christian, do not listen to that voice that says you are not qualified. If you have the Spirit of God in you, you are eminently qualified to shepherd others. And it may very well be that, you, that the newness of your faith is a spark, a glorious spark to others in their faith. So the question is, how do we do this? From where do we get our energy, our wisdom, our skill for this? Well, we get it from three places, salvation, imitation, and consolation. Salvation, imitation, and consolation. First, salvation. It's real simple. You can't give what you don't, what you don't got. You, you, you can't put in what God left out. And God must put something in. You must be born again. You, you cannot shepherd someone to life if you do not have that life. So the first step is that you must be a born-again Christian <laughs> to engage in this work. Do you really want to be useful? Do you want to be truly and eternally useful? Useful in such a way that, that your usefulness is still ringing 10,000 years from now. That's the kind of usefulness we're talking about here. Do you want to have the courage, as we prayed for Elsie about, to, to, to be useful in your generation in a way that, that still is ringing multiple generations from now? Then put on the oxygen mask of life on yourself first. 
bow your knee to Christ and receive the washing of all of your sins and the new life in his resurrection. Bow your knee to him. Become one of his sheep that he shepherds from his throne in heaven. And then, only then will you be in a place to, to help to shepherd others towards life. Otherwise, you're just, you're just simply the blind leading blind. Um, no matter your degrees or what, what side of history you think you, on, or you are on, what good can the dead do for the dead? But Jesus said in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, Come to me, all who labor and are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Which in and of itself is great, but then he says this, Take my yoke upon you. The, the order here is crucial. Take my yoke upon you first. Submit to me first. Submit to me as Lord and King, surrendering everything to me, everything in your existence. Surrender it to my reign first. And then, then he says, and learn from me. And learn from me. As we walk along, we, we first, as we walk along with him, the first thing we want to do is surrender ourselves to him. And only after that can we then hear from him. Can we actually learn from him? And then what he teaches us is the wisdom of the ages. What he teaches us along the way, oh, it's the mysteries of life. And you have them. If you're in Christ, you have them. So surrender yourself to him first. Then secondly, as we walk along, as we listen to him, we are simply to imitate Jesus. We are to simply do what he does. And I'll tell you, as a man... I love it that Jesus has structured things this way because I need things simple. <laughs> I need things simple. Do what I do. Okay, I, can, I think I can do that. At least I understand that. Um, the, so let's, let's think about this in terms of your own Bible study. There is a time for taking notes and for doing hard study of the Bible, but there is as much, there's just as much a time for reading your Bible to simply watch Jesus. To simply watch him and how he speaks to people and to whom and why. How he speaks so tenderly to the sinful woman and how he tells the scribes and lawyers that they're sons of Satan. (laughs) Both are love. Both are the truth spoken in love. So watch Jesus. Close, watch Jesus and and then close your Bible and then go out into the world imitating him doing what he does. Like, like really. Do what he did with those you are closest to. So much of the Christian life is contained in this concept. And you can also imitate him by, Hebrews 13, 7, by watching his under-shepherds and noticing the outcome of their way of life and imitating them. Imitating them. That's why you should pray for the elders, by the way, so that they would be that Christ-like example that you can imitate, which would then make them a great benefit to you. Granted, no one is perfect, but if they're ahead of you in the faith, then they'll serve you well as an example to you. If you pray for the elders, they will continue to excel and grow, and they'll provide that, that example that you really can't imitate. Well, lastly, after salvation and imitation, there must be consolation. Consolation. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 give a profound concept here that we must all understand. And as I read this verse again, please note the all and the any, the word all and the word any. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. So whatever your, your afflictions are, He comforts you in those afflictions so that we, you, I, may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any afflictions. Not just those who have experienced the same afflictions that I have experienced. When you are comforted by God in your afflictions, you have been given a universal gift. God comforts you for you, but he comforts you for you and for someone else, for others. The comforts you receive through your cancer treatments are just as applicable to the teenager who is being slandered right now on social media and vice versa. <laughs> That's the amazing thing of God's grace. It is universal. What matters for usefulness to others is not whether you've shared the same affliction, but whether you have been shared, whether you have shared in the comforts of the cross. And that comfort is not just meant for you, it's meant for someone else. God will, God will often give you this comfort from the cross through his under-shepherds, but then through his under-shepherds that comfort comes and it is meant to flow through you to others who are in any affliction. And regardless, if you have it, you are equipped. You are equipped and you have. You have a powerful, universal gift for anyone in any affliction. You can. You are qualified. You are able to shepherd his sheep. Have you, have you had afflictions in your life? Have you received comforts of the cross? Then you are qualified to be a sh to shepherd, to shepherd in God's flock. Okay, well, let's, let's consider this then in three spheres of life. Three spheres of life. Family, church, and county. Family, church, and county. First, the family. Men, fathers. A disciple does what his master does. So what is Jesus to us? First and foremost, Jesus is a Savior. Jesus is a Savior. You, therefore, are a savior to your family. You are a savior. You are not the savior. That's Yahweh. That job's already taken. <laughs> but you are a savior. And in fact, you are the primary one, the primary earthly savior. I, I, I know this may sound strange to, to put the word savior on a human being besides Jesus, but we need to stop putting limits on what we think we are qualified to imitate Jesus about. When Paul commanded fathers to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, he was saying, imitate your savior by being a savior to your family. Study after study, and my own personal observation backs this up, that you know, God bless the nurturing sacrifice of every mother out there without which society would literally crumble right now. But it's the father's spiritual trajectory. It's the father's initiative to see this, the kids saved that is massively, massively the biggest factor in the children's own spiritual trajectory. Now, you say, I, I did not have a good example in my own father, but this brings me back to the, the previous point. You don't need one. 
You don't need one. You have Jesus. You have Jesus, so watch him and imitate him. Do what he do does. Say what he says. And then find one of his under-shepherds who have believing children and ask them, what did you do? Can I do that? Sure, let me tell you what I did. Find someone to imitate and do that. You are the shepherd of your household, men. If you don't, if you don't shepherd your household, there are many false shepherds who would love to take your place, not least of which the government or the media or public schools, it, it, the, the opportunities are endless. But only you, only you possess the power by Christ in you to build something that will last for generations and that a new society can be built around. Yes, you. <laughs> You do have this power. So the, the, the call to you is not to, to sit around and say, well, I don't, I don't know if I really... No, no, no. You do have this power. You do have this power. The call to you is to simply exercise that power by imitating your Savior. Do what he does with your household. Well, secondly, we turn to the church. You, you would think that shepherding would be second nature to those who, who come together under the good shepherding of Jesus, but this is not always the case, right? It's not always the case. And ironically, it is the result oftentimes of our drive to produce something excellent for our king that we end up forgetting one another, driving past one another, forgetting one another. But he, he sees all of this, and he does not always see himself reflected in any work of ministry that leaves behind it a wake of frustrated, alienated people who are frustrated and alienated just for the sake of excellence. Because the body of Christ is people. The body of Christ is people. He says, if you're going to leave people behind, then you can keep that kind of excellence. I don't need it. Of course, there's a balance here. Jesus did all things well, so if we imitate him, we ought to do all things well. But it is a balance, balance being two things happening at the same time. And you can tell when you're keeping this balance, when again, the people around you in your ministry are growing together in their unity around Jesus, not necessarily around your ministry, and in the knowledge about Jesus, not necessarily ministry tactics or total agreement about ministry tactics, and in maturity, in likeness to Jesus, King Jesus. Um, I'm not changing the subject here when I say this. There was a very strange movement in the 1980s of people who insanely wanted to amputate parts of their body. Really strange. It, it gave them a strange pleasure to be someone who struggled with the loss of a limb. And so they voluntarily took off a limb. Bizarre, and yet many folks in churches today operate the same way. When God gives us newcomers, there's the temptation to suffocate them, suffocate them to, to make sure that we do it the way that we, we should do it for, for the sake of the excellence of God. And, and then we take strange glory in the fact that we are we're amputated and we, we can't find any volunteers for our ministry. But, but the, church, the church is not an institution. It's an organism. It's people. And so, so what if the real point of that conflict between how you pursue excellence and how the newcomer does it differently is not the ministry itself, but having the conversation? Having the conversation and shepherding one another. What if God brought them to shepherd you? 
What if God brought that newcomer to, to give you something new that, that you were amputated from, that, that you were missing? What if the, repu, the restoration of that amputated limb, that newcomer coming in? What if they're a gift from God to heal us? What if the end goal of all ministry is people, beginning with the person and the people that you serve with? And it is. So, so here, is a, here is a simple pro tip in, in all of our ministry doings. Make it your habit, make it your habit to be constantly asking of those you serve alongside, how can I pray for you? You might not always say it out loud, but to, to get what we are talking about today, that shepherds shepherd those who shepherd, in order to truly shepherd those around us, you must have a curious love about those that you are around, that those that you serve in ministry with. A curious love that says, how can I pray for you? You may not always say it, but you're wondering, you're listening. And as you listen, as you listen, you, you put it into the words of Scripture, and you, and you begin to pray, yes, I, I pray that God would, would alleviate your circumstances. I pray that He would heal you. I pray that He would change this situation. But I also pray that He would use this to deepen your hope in Him, to draw you more closely to your brothers and sisters in Christ to make you more into his likeness. This is what it looks like to shepherd. And then once we've, once we've understood how to pray for that person, now we're in a position, now we have some wisdom to then perhaps be a means of grace to that other person, to give them one bit of truth spoken in love to just one little bit of their life, even while we're doing this other ministry thing over here. What if the whole point of that other ministry thing over here was just a context to get you two together and one person to shepherd the other? <laughs> um, shepherds have curious love of the sheep, a curious love that leads them to pray and to pray biblically for them and then to be in a position to feed them, to give them what they need. Well, lastly... We must consider our county, our county. Christians are the shepherds of society. Christians are the shepherds of society, not institutions, not the government, not schools, not the media. Christians, the church, is the shepherd of society. So then Christians must vocally insist on governance according to the righteousness of God's law. And when they bark at you to keep your religion in its place, stand your ground because every law, every law is the imposition of a morality upon other people. It's not whether it is, but what morality and therefore which God or religion is involved. After all, Roe v. Wade was the imposition of a morality upon the baby in the womb. Millions. And in their relativism, they will say, well, how dare you say that your morality is superior? How dare you say that your morality is the one that should take root? To which we should, should reply, well, I cannot deny what I've come to know, that my God is risen from the dead. My God is risen from the dead, and he leads to life. He does not demand the blood of innocence. How about yours? The blessings and rights of our land are not self-existing. However imperfectly, they nonetheless came from somewhere from Christians and Christianity. This church and your family exist to shepherd this society in the way that it should go, whether by the rod or the staff, by the carrot or the stick. 
So notice here, I haven't mentioned any party or candidate. If a party wants to sidle up to us Christians and claim Christianity, I guess they're free to do so, free to do so just as any other party is free to renounce us and run the other way. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about parties here. I'm talking about Jesus' command to us to love our neighbor. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. To love our neighbor, the neighbors in our county, those who are, we are closest to, to shepherd them towards life, liberty, and true joy, true joy in Christ, in Christ. And that does not happen by being silently inert. We've tried that for long enough, and, and here we are. Here we are. So, Christian, in, in each of these spheres, I ask you to think with the eyes of faith. I ask you to think with the eyes of faith because if Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, there is unspeakable power hidden within you. Unspeakable power hidden within you for the power of God to run in your family, to run in the souls of those that you are most closest to. Oh, and if, 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 the, if God is within you, if, if even just a spark of His Spirit exists within you, there is unspeakable power. How great He is within you to be grace, to flow grace to others in this church, to do truly works of resurrection, of new life in impossible places, in impossible situations. You possess that power. You are that conduit that God wants to use to bring that resurrection life, those new beginnings. And he, you possess this power within you, no, no matter what the world says. The, the, the world wants to tell you, you ain't got nothing. What do you got? You, you got some Palestinian guy that was crucified 2,000 years ago? That, that, that's what you're going with? And we say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going with. Exactly. He's risen from the dead. Exactly. He is Lord, He is King, He is Master, and His ways are good, His ways are righteous, and His righteousness leads to life. I insist on His Lordship because I love you, because I want joy for you, because I want everyone to thrive and to flourish. Christian, you, you are called to shepherd. You're called to shepherd your family. You're called to shepherd the people in this church. And you're called to shepherd this county in the name of Christ, in love, in love, out of love. And you have everything you need. I think for most of us, what we need most, therefore, is just simply faith to see it. <laughs> faith to see it. Faith to believe it. So, let me pray for that right now. Let me pray for that faith. Father, I, I confess my own unbelief and how my own unbelief has worked its way out in many ways in my, my life, in my family, in church, in my relationships, in the community. How I've not believed in your power, and yet you are, Lord Jesus, risen from the dead. How great you are. How great you are. I pray, I pray that you would forgive us of our unbelief. I pray that you would help our unbelief. We believe, but help us. Grant us faith to truly see 
the unspeakable power that exists within us for love to truly flow, for love to truly take root, for love to take root based on the truth and to result in resurrection life in our families, in this church, and in our world. Lord Jesus, praise your name. For you are risen from the dead. You are the light and the life that everyone is looking for. So let your life shine. Let your life shine in our families, in this church, and in our world, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.